Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 60, Choices, Mercy, and Promises. At the end of chapter 9, Jacob concludes, and it appears that everybody goes home, and they reconvene the next day. And that's where chapter 10 begins. It's the next day, and Jacob is still teaching the people. But something significant happened that evening for Jacob. We know that Jacob had been visited in his youth by the Lord. His father Lehi mentioned that in his last words to Jacob. And Jacob had another experience, and he was visited by an angel. And Jacob shares with us one of the messages of the angel, that the name of their Messiah that they are looking forward to will be named Christ. This is the first time that this word appears in the Book of Mormon. And in verse 3, it appears that the angel enlightened Jacob to more of the details of Jesus Christ's mission. We know from Nephi many of the highlights of his birth, his ministry, and his death. But Jacob appears to have enlightened as to why Jesus came to where he came. And truthfully, it's this part of scripture that actually pains my heart each and every time that I read it. Christ will be crucified. For this it behooveth our God, and there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. For should the mighty miracles be wrought among other nations, they would repent and know that he be their God. How did Jerusalem become so iniquitous? Because of the priestcrafts and the iniquities, they at Jerusalem will stiffen their necks against him, that he be crucified. And in a future episode, we'll talk more about the dangers of priestcrafts. But what continues to amaze me is that Jesus Christ knew all of this before he even came. He knew that he would not be accepted. He knew that he would be able to complete his entire mission. Not only the miracles and the teachings, but the suffering and the sacrificing of himself for us to us. He came to a people that he knew would help him get all of that done. And honestly, when I read these three verses, my heart aches because I put myself in their shoes What would I have done if I had been there? What would I have chosen? What do I choose now? Am I living a life in such a way that I show my love for him and I choose him? Does my Savior know that I love him because of what he sees me do, not just what he hears me say? Like everyone, I fall short. Course correcting has become my superpower because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. You all have it. But am I accepting his teachings? Will I recognize him when he comes again? But you know, I don't even have to wait that long. Do I recognize him in the words of the prophet? How about the apostles? What about my bishop? The sacramental prayers in my personal promptings of the spirit? Or am I too caught up in, is this me? Or is this the spirit? Or am I hearing him in those promptings? Do I find him in my thoughts? in my feelings, in my words, and in my actions? 
In isolation, these verses of scripture can appear hopeless and defeatist. That he chose the nation that actually would crucify him and not see him for who he really is. But if we zoom out for a minute, we can see that he came to that nation that would best show his characteristics, his efforts, and his gift to us. Jacob in Nephi chapter 10 shows us that no matter what is at stake, God has given us the power of choice. It demonstrates once again that God is merciful and that he will remember his covenants that he has made to us. The fight in us to choose seems to be something that we come to earth with. Have you noticed that? It is evident in our childhood, even before we have full capacity to reason a good choice. It's exerted heavily during adolescence. It's in full swing as we are governing our lives through adulthood. And it's something that we lament when our choices become limited because of our aging body and the loss of vitality in our minds. When it comes to Jesus Christ, we are given the choice to believe in him, that he is the Christ, or not. And at this point in the history of the Nephites, I believe I'm seeing some pinings. They had been led away from their land of inheritance. The timeline is somewhere between 559 and 545 BC. So that is about 41 to 55 years after they have left Jerusalem. And I don't imagine that their challenges now that they're in the promised land are any easier than their wanderings in the wilderness or their crossing the ocean or even their separating themselves from their brethren, the Lamanites. Though Nephi says they were happy and I believe him, I don't believe happiness actually equals comfort, ease, or even a lack of struggle. Boy, if we can understand that, we will save us a lot of pain here in mortality and actually recognize happiness a lot easier. Though they were following God and were the broken branch that he refers to, I don't believe that they were without needing to make the active choice of believing in him often and recommitting themselves to him often, just like we do. Just like we need to do every week when we are invited to come and partake of the sacrament. Jacob reveals to them that he has been shown that many of their children will perish in the flesh because of unbelief. They will be permitted to choose unbelief. Going on in verse 2, though, it says, Nevertheless, God will be merciful unto many, and our children shall be restored. How will this mercy manifest itself in their lives? How does it in our life Jacob continues that they may come to that which will give them the true knowledge of their Redeemer. This is the Lord's promise that somehow, some way, some way that we can't see right now, us and those children of ours that are perhaps even right now perishing in unbelief will come to the true knowledge of their Redeemer and they will find mercy in him. A woman in my ward who was and continues to be a long-suffering mother once testified that the word that in this scripture brought her great peace 
as she contemplated the choices of her children who were not continuing in church activity or keeping their covenants now that they were grown. She had experienced great turmoil over their decisions and questioned her efforts as a mother. And one day as she was reading in her scriptures, the spirit in her mind emphasized that they may come to that which will give them the true knowledge of their Redeemer. And as I have pondered on what lesson the Spirit was teaching her in that moment, it occurred to me that the God who loves us individually also knows what will individually attach us to Him. He will allow us to choose, but He is aware of that which will awake us, of that which will make sense to us, of that which we need to experience in order to be humbled, to become childlike, so that we can accept Him as the merciful God that He is. And it's different for all of us. And that is why increasing our understanding of who He is is essential for our growth especially to get us away from one who checks off the items on their checklist to one who has the charity like he possesses. Another example of choice, mercy, and promises fulfilled, or that what Jacob is trying to teach his people, begins in verse 7. But behold, thus saith the Lord God, when the day cometh that they shall believe in me, that I am Christ, Then have I covenanted with their fathers that they shall be restored in the flesh, upon the earth, unto the lands of their inheritance. Once God's children choose him, that is when their restoration transformation begins to take place. His mercy begins immediately. Notice the lack of punishments that one must go through in order to be able to obtain that mercy. I think I, in my immaturity, grew up believing that mistakes deserved punishments in order to even things out. And boy, have I changed my mind on that. That is not to say that hard changes will not take place. That isn't to say that the cleansing process may not be emotionally or physically painful. Overcoming addictions is painful. Sacrificing is painful. But that doesn't mean that it's punishing. It's transformative. It's a process that we go through to be restored. And when we view it through the lens of mercy, we might even find it something to be grateful for. Does that make sense? Another act of mercy, however, is the Lord's plan to include the Gentiles to give them a role in all this, to bring the Gentiles to help the seed of Lehi. And we've pondered this before in past episodes when Nephi has shared the words of Isaiah with his people. But remember, we are told that the kings of the Gentiles shall be the nursing fathers unto them, and their queens shall become nursing mothers. They're assisting in the restoration process. The Lord promises this rescue, if you will, to Lehi's seed. And he promises great blessings to the Gentiles for answering this role that he has given them. And one of the blessings is that the Gentiles will also be blessed upon the land of promise. And speaking of this land, it shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles. A land of liberty is a land of choice. 
This land has been that. I can choose to worship God how I see fit, or I can choose not to. I can choose my education, my occupation, my living circumstances, my pleasures, my pursuits of happiness, my values, my standards. I can do this righteously, or I can engage in iniquity. Both are readily available to me. I can raise my family how I desire. I can talk of Christ. I can preach of Christ. And I can teach my children to freely do so as well. The Lord promises or instructs. Truthfully, I'm not exactly sure which one as I read this. But I'm going to go with promise. That there shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles. He does promise, however that he will fortify this land against all other nations, and he that fighteth against Zion shall perish. That is mercy. That is treating us better than we deserve, especially as a collective whole. The Lord in his mercy proclaims that he is the king of this land. For he that raiseth up a king against me shall perish. For I, the Lord, the king of heaven, will be their king, and I will be a light unto them forever that hear my words. There's our choice to make. Are we choosing to hear his words? And if so, in his mercy, treating us better than we deserve, he is going to condescend to be our king and our light forever. In the land of choice, are we choosing him? Are we choosing his ways? Are we standing for his laws? Are we choosing to be governed by the true king of the land? Are we trusting in the power and the promises of the king of liberty? In verses 15 and 16, he promises that in order to fulfill his covenants, he knows that he will need to destroy the secret works of darkness, murders and abominations. That he that fighteth against Zion, both Jew and Gentile, both bond and free, both male and female, shall perish. For they who are not for me are against me. And this scripture reminds me of what we learned from Isaiah. Arise and sit down. Make the choice to follow him. Arise. Sit down and trust in his mercy and his promises. Do we believe in his mercy and his promises? Jacob then appears to give his people a pep talk, showing them how merciful God has been to them for even giving them this great knowledge of what is to be. I believe most definitely the Lord is giving this knowledge to quiet the fears of his children's hearts and to help his children not abandon the course prematurely, but to stay the course and to have hope. Jacob instructs his people to not hang down their heads. They aren't cast off. Yes, we've been driven out of the land of our inheritance, but to a better land. The Lord made the sea our path, and we are on an isle of the sea. And great promises are given by the Lord to those who are on the isles of the sea. He then bolsters them by reminding them that they are surely not alone. They're not the only children that the Lord has led away. For behold, the Lord God has led away from time to time from the house of Israel, according to his will and pleasure. And now behold, the Lord remembereth all of them who have been broken off 
Wherefore, he remembereth us also. The Lord is so much more capable than us. Us who lose our keys and misplace them. He is not losing his children or misplacing them. He remembers them. He knows where they're at. He's giving them the power to choose. And he's offering his mercy and his promises to them as well. This brings me so much excitement in my heart. We know that later on in the Book of Mormon, we're going to learn of a people that he did lead away from Jerusalem when the Babylonians were taking over. It's the people of Mulek. And that the Nephites are going to come across the records of the Jaredites who were led away at the time of the Tower of Babel. Who else has been led away? Who else has been led away because of the mercy of the Lord? He remembers all of them. And he is letting us know that he is capable of taking care of them as well. In his wisdom, he has given his children a fighting chance. He always does. In conclusion, Jacob says, cheer up your hearts and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves. Do you feel this cheerfulness? You are free to choose for yourself. You are free to choose how you perceive things. You will never be compelled to follow him. You'll be invited, persuaded, shown, but you will never be forced. You fought for this right to choose. Isn't your spirit telling you that? Therefore, in my mind, it makes no sense to choose anything but Jesus Christ, who I stood by and fought for the power to choose. He is the way of eternal life. So remember to smile. Spiritually minded is life eternal. And with all of this choosing, all of us are going to need to be reconciled with the will of God. Thank goodness for this sacrament that we can participate and partake of each week because it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Grace being his enabling power. We can't reconcile ourselves, but his grace, it can clean us up. It can raise us from death by the power of the resurrection, and it can also save us from everlasting death by the power of the atonement. And as I read that, in my mind I hear, mercy, mercy, mercy. And what is our final promise that Jacob ends with? We're promised to be received into the eternal kingdom of God. He's got this all figured out. All that's left is for us to choose it. Sister Scriptorians, I know I've said this before, but strive to look for the Lord's mercy again this week. Are you getting better at it? Are you learning to see as He sees? Can you appreciate the opportunity of choice that He has given you? But can you also see the merciful path back to Him when you err? Find joy in His promises. He remembers His covenants to you. He loves you. Have a good day.